Hi, this is Roland Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church here in Chicago, Illinois, and we hope that you're well. Welcome to our online service. We hope you leave today encouraged, full of faith, and ready to take the kingdom of God wherever you may go. We just want you to know we're so happy that you chose to join us today, and once again, welcome. As we continue in our worship today, we're going to go into the preaching of God's Word. And if you're joining us for the first time, what we're doing today is we're continuing our series, which was, which has been entitled, The God Who Is. And today's message is actually going to be called, The God Who Is Alpha and Omega. Now, if you have been an athlete before, maybe you've um, heard about um, um, an alpha alpha athlete um, on the field or on the court, um, or if you have pets, maybe you uh, might have a pecking order in your home where you're familiar with your alpha dog who uh, might present themselves as in charge. But here, when we're talking about God being the alpha and the omega, what we're talking about is his creation, his eternality, and really him being the beginning and end of all things. And that's why we worship him, because what we're talking about today are certain qualities of him that make him worthy of our worship. And so uh, today, if uh, you are um, trying to understand why we're picking these topics, what we understand is that we're only beginning to scratch the surface about God and who he is. But we want to continually look to Scripture to better understand certain attributes of God. And in this time of the pandemic and the social unrest that we've been walking through, how to best relate to God and one another during that time. And today's truths will better help us root ourselves in our trust in God. Just as last week we talked about uh, really God the rewarder and it really this understanding this about him increasing our confidence in him these attributes will actually of him being the Alpha and Omega help us to increase our trust in him and so our focus today is going to be on this statement that we will better interpret the meaning of life when we realize that God is omniscient omnipresent and omnipotent we're going to break the message into those three parts. We're going to talk about God the omniscient. We're going to talk about God the omnipresent. And then number three, we're going to talk about God the omnipotent. And we're going to describe what each of those mean as we go along. But before we do anything else, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. And we thank you that you've given us a clear understanding of why your worth and why you're so worthy of our attention, our affection, our praise and our worship. God, we give it to you now. And we say that you are the God who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God, help us to find great confidence and trust in who you are as we walk with you, as you are, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's start by talking about God, the omniscient. When we say that God is omniscient, that means that he knows all things. And when things look like they are out of control in our nation or in our communities around us, our prayers need to rise to the God in whom we trust. And the good news is that we can have trust in him because we're comforted to know that nothing, though things that we see around us might surprise us, things that we see on the news or things that we hear reported or even interactions that we have with people who we have known and trusted and loved, 
what we see is that nothing surprises God. Well, why is that? Well, in the book of Revelation, which was the great apocalyptic book, giving us a picture of not only the church during John the Apostle's time, but also was a prophetic book, giving us a picture of the end of days and how God's going to bring all of human history to a head. We see God starting by describing himself and describing his son, Jesus Christ, in a very particular way. And in Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, he says this. It says, From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to whom be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, when we see this, this is a clear depiction of what God is showing us about himself. And when Jesus in his word said, now this is eternal life, that you might know the only living God and Jesus Christ whom he sent, we see that this is a perfect picture of God once again showing us, declaring to us who he is and why we can worship him, why we can trust in him. So what do we learn from the scripture? Well, first we see that Jesus is declared the faithful witness of who God is. And so when we've been going through this series and trying to figure out who God is and how to relate with him and how, how to worship him, we need to continually, perpetually look to Jesus who faithfully is a witness to who God actually is. Matter of fact, whenever John the apostle was talking in the gospel of John, he recorded when Jesus said, if anyone wants to see the Father, we're talking about the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. And Jesus, when he was walking the earth in the flesh, he said, if anyone wants to see the Father who is above all, he says, he can look at me. So anyone who's seen Jesus has seen the Father. And that's a powerful thing because therefore, as this scripture is saying, he is a faithful witness to who God is. And God is basically saying through this passage in Revelation that he is the sovereign Lord with authority over every ruler, king, politician, and governor of the earth. And so many people are getting riled up about the upcoming elections, but we need to understand that no matter who finds themselves in office, God has declared that he is the authority the sovereign over every ruler, king, politician, and governor of the earth. That means that all 
both great and small alike, will have to answer to him, whether now or in the judgment, and they'll have to give an account for what they've done, whether good or evil, because God is the ultimate judge. And Jesus is a declaration, according to Revelation, he's a declaration of God's good news that it's not just this life that we're living today and then that's it, but there's life after death. Why? Because Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. He went to the grave on the cross, dying for our sins as a substitute, but then he rose again. And he, after appearing to his disciples over a period of 40 days, he ascended back into heaven and he's gonna make a return to bring all to himself who've been waiting for him. That's good news that there's life after death, but there's also life after death for those who've rebelled against him, that they will have to give an account and they will pay with punishment for the wrong that they've done. Now, Jesus gave evidence for the life after death by his historic resurrection, being the firstborn from among the dead. And through his love for us, God has declared that through that resurrection, through his death on the cross and the resurrection, that we as the people of God who've chosen to follow Jesus, we are actually freed from our sins. And that's good news, that the destructive life that I was living prior to walking with Jesus, he says, I'm freeing you from those things, those sin habits, the impurity, the sexual immorality, the drunkenness, all the things that used to be destructive to your life. He says, I'm going to free you from them so that you can walk with me and follow me. And in God's omniscience, he knows all that we've done. Because he's the Alpha and the Omega, he says, I see it all and I know what you've done. Everything with which we've dealt and struggled. And matter of fact, that because he is the God who is and who was and who is to come, it's not only the things that we have done, it might be some of the things that you presently find yourself in. He's omniscient and he sees it all. He knows the present struggles. He knows the present fears. He knows that which you're trying to overcome. Yet because of Christ's crucifixion, burial and resurrection, when you clothe yourselves with Jesus Christ, he still knows it all, he's omniscient, but he still declares that through repentance and faith, we can be free. This is almost analogous and makes me think of uh, Juneteenth when we celebrated and commemorated Juneteenth this uh, past month. That it was a celebration that though the Emancipation Proclamation had already been ratified, it was another two plus years before the final slaves in the U.S. were able to walk in the freedom that was actually afforded them and purchased for them. And that's so many Christians today that though Jesus has set them free by his work on the cross, because they don't know his word, they don't live out the freedom that he's already provided for them. But this is why we preach to let you know you are free. In God, you are free from your sins. In God, you are free from your uh, shame. In God, you are free from the things that once held you bound. And knowing all about us, Jesus still says, that he has made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, meaning offering worship, offering sacrifices to him, following him in his purposes and ways as we join him in building his kingdom. 
And it is because the gospel reminds us that those who've submitted to Jesus will stand before God in Christ's merit, not their own. He knows everything about us, but he also knows when we've submitted to Christ and put our trust in him. And when we do so, he says, Christ's merit is now your merit. Christ's righteousness is now your righteousness, and that's why you're qualified to be a priest before God. And it is Christ's dominion, meaning his rule, that will last forever and ever. Because he's not only eternal, but when Jesus put on the flesh and died and he was raised again, he died once for all time. And he was raised to life and he will live forever. But he won't just live, but he will live as the ruler that he actually is. And his dominion will be one that lasts forever. <clears throat> the Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, the language in which the book of Revelation was actually written. And because God is the Alpha and Omega, it means that God, that as God is scripting out not only your life, but all of human history, all things have their beginning and will meet their end with God. And in that end, he will demand an accounting for all things. It means he is able to see all things from beginning to end, and it is why he also makes declarations about his kingdom purposes, which cannot be thwarted. The beauty is, is that we have great trust in God because he says things like this in Isaiah 46 verses 8 through 11. God says, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. He says, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. And God, even when he was speaking so many years ago through the prophet Isaiah, he was speaking 700 years before Jesus showed up on the scene, talking about the Messiah who had come to save the world. And lo and behold, just as God spoke it, Many years before, he brought it to pass because he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's a great arranger of human history and he brings about his purposes through his omniscience. God sees all and has an ultimate benevolent plan for those who would follow him. And it's not just that he says, follow me, but he's also ever present. He's omnipresent forever with us. And when we say that God is omnipresent, that means that in him we live and move and have our being. And in fact, when you are a Christian, you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit where God himself says, I'm going to come and live in you forever. I'm going to be in you forever. And God gives us the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come in him. And not only that, Jesus said when he sends us out into his harvest field to do his work and make disciples, he says, I am with you always. 
even to the end of the age as you're doing my work. Now, this means that God is ever-present, all-seeing, and wise enough to direct all the affairs of human history. And when we're talking about him being uh, ever-present and uh, wise enough to direct the affairs of human history, that means your life too. That means my life. In addition to his eternal presence, now more than ever, we can clearly, though, imagine what he was talking about in Revelation, how God's word will actually come to pass. And again, in Revelation 1-7, he said that Jesus is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. And our technology today definitely makes this an easy possibility to imagine. The, even this digital format is God's mercy to us all. So when we, he says that God, Jesus is coming on the clouds of heaven and every eye will see him, imagine that actually taking place, maybe across the country or in another part of the world. What do you think would be happening immediately if somebody was coming down literally on clouds of heaven? Immediately, all phones would be out and immediately there'd be a streaming and immediately there would be a posting about it so that everyone would be able to see that spectacular event. And so we see that even in that, in the technology that God's bringing about in our world around us, he's going to be, in essence, his declaration about himself and his coming are going to be an ever-present one. And the digital format that we have today is his mercy towards us all. And we are without excuse and everyone with any internet connection has an opportunity to connect with God and his church, to hear his gospel and turn to him because he's that merciful to us all. This means, though, that if he's making himself available like this, we must be ready and turn away from sin because, as Revelation 1-7 says, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Meaning it was our sin that caused him to be pierced. It was his enemies that pierced him. And at one point, all of us were enemies towards God because of our sinful behavior, whether it be our immorality, our drunkenness, our dishonoring of our parents, our theft, whatever it is, we were enemies of God because of our behavior and we pierced him. It says, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Those who decide to continue to resist him, when they see him coming, it's not going to be a good thing. But for those who've been waiting for him, it'll be a beautiful thing. But because he's making himself ever present, available to the whole world, we want to make sure to be right with him in faith and obedience to his command. And Jesus is the God who is coming to judge and rule, not according to the changing tides of our culture, but according to his holy, righteous, and sovereign nature. Those are attributes of God. He's holy, righteous, and sovereign. Well, what does it mean to respond to his omnipresence today and the fact that he's making himself available today? Well, just because God is omnipresent, it doesn't mean that he endorses every place where you or I choose to go and that which you choose with which you choose to be involved. We are living today in something called a cancel culture. But the truth is, is that you cannot cancel the commands of God. There's a gentleman named Paul Copen. He's an apologist who said these days, though tolerance means that you accept the other person's views as being true or legitimate. 
And if you claim that someone is wrong, you can get accused of being intolerant, even though, ironically, the person making the charge of intolerance isn't being accepting of your beliefs. And you can try to get rid of God's influence in your life, but because he is omnipresent, he will still be there and see everything. Remember, again, in Acts 17, Paul said that in him we live and move and have our being. We cannot counsel God. And on the day of judgment, he will bring us into account for everything. People, funny enough, tried to cancel Jesus, literally, at the beginning of his ministry when they didn't like what he had to say. And at the beginning of our series, we talked about Jesus and what he came to do, that he, the Spirit of the Lord was on him because God had anointed him to preach good news to the poor. And that he came to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and deliverance for the oppressed, right? Remember that? Well, right after that place, Jesus came, continued to talk after rolling up the scroll of Isaiah. And in Luke 4, 22, it spoke about how people weren't always happy with what Jesus said and they tried to cancel him. It said, then all spoke well of him, meaning Jesus, and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. And he, meaning Jesus said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel, meaning the people of God, in the days of Elijah, the Israeli prophet, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. We did our whole series on true contentment about his life and ministry. And it said, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian, who he did a message on. Now, the people were offended by this because they were like, well, if God's going to come, he's obviously going to come first to his people, people, the people of Israel. And if he's going to heal, he's obviously going to heal and do miracles for his people, Israel. But when they were in sin and unbelief, God went instead to the Gentiles. And God went to the people who would actually hear him. And so when the people heard Jesus' words, they weren't pleased with that. And so they wanted to cancel Jesus. And so it said, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their mists, he went away. So because we see that God is omnipresent, he cannot be counseled. It wasn't canceled. It wasn't Jesus' time to go. So he walked right through that mob of people. And we want to be careful that you are not trying to cancel the voice of God in your life because you don't like what he has to say. When John continued to walk on um, talk in Revelation, he talked about the very things that God's going to hold 
people accountable for. And in Revelation 21, 5 through 8, he said this, and he who was seated on the throne, meaning God, said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am, once again, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And so what God's saying is, is that he's making it plain that these are the things that he will judge, so we need to turn away from them. And many people in our world today don't like hearing such things. They say, I want to live like I want to live. And if God's omnipresent, you know, he, he obviously is allowing me to do it, so I should be able to do what I want to do. But God's saying, yes, I'm omnipresent, but that doesn't mean I'm condoning everything you do. You need to turn away from that, which the Bible calls sin, and turn to Jesus in the life that he has for you. We need to make sure, too, that God wouldn't want to cancel you with the way that you're living, acting, and interacting with other people. Don't get caught up in this cancel culture, but instead give yourself to the wisdom of a uh, famous man named author and philosopher named G.K. Chesterton. And he said, there's a thought that stops thought. There's a thought that stops thought. That is the only thought that ought to be stopped. And this whole cancel culture, we need to stop just going with the tide and the flow of culture and really raging against anything that somebody voices an opinion about in opposition to. Instead, we need to be thinkers and make sure that we're continually on the Lord's side in an ever-shifting culture and determined to demonstrate his love as he's continually with you and working through you. That's what we need to do, even understanding that God is omnipresent. But the good news is that he's not just omniscient, he's not just omnipresent, but God is also omnipotent. And when we say that God is omnipotent, this means that he is all-powerful. Before he was known as Yahweh, the God of the Jewish covenant, God revealed himself as El Shaddai. Many of you may uh, hear the song even in your mind now as we're speaking about these things, that old Amy Grant song. And this word El Shaddai, this name El Shaddai, meant God the Almighty One. In Genesis 17, 1, when God was speaking to the father of the faith, Abram, Abram, before he was known as Abraham, he said this, that when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And Almighty is synonymous to omnipotent. We serve an omnipotent God, yet we must know how to relate with God 
in the midst of this reality. And just because God is omnipotent doesn't mean that he's obligated to save us from the consequences of our choices when we make them and choose not to walk blamelessly in his sight. What that means is that a lot of times people choose to disobey God, even knowingly, and then get mad at God for the consequences that follow it. This is why Proverbs 19 verse 3 says, When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. But just because God is almighty doesn't mean that he has to be there to clean up all of the messes that we create for ourselves. The fact that he's almighty means that he has power to change us when we turn to him and he has power to make right what was wrong when he redeems us through that repentance. And God created all things through his son Jesus at the beginning and is coming again to bring all things back into right order under his dominion. Because he is the Almighty, this means that we can be changed now and forever when we come back under his rule. That's what his Almighty power does. No matter where you are now or how far off you've been, God was your beginning and he can be your benevolent end. Jesus went to the cross to take your sin, your punishment, and your shame. And this can be your new beginning. He rose from the dead with all authority and power to set us free from sin and death. This can be your new end by the hand of the Almighty that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, you are raised into new life by his power as you repent and turn to him, knowing that his power is greater than any sin that previously bound you. Maybe sin that binds you right now. The Almighty One is able to give you a new beginning and create a new story with a new end for you. God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So we need to make sure that we're ready to meet him through his gospel of peace today. Why? Because he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, and he's omnipotent. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and he's come to make himself known to you and to me today. So if you hear this word today and you say, you know what? I, I hear this word, but I've really related to God as not one who's able to help me. I've quite frankly treated him as less than he is. One who's merely giving me suggestions in life, but not coming to rule it. One who may have created me, but who I'm not really accountable to in my actions and in my lifestyle or ways. But I realize the error of my ways today, and I want to make my peace with God, get right with God in repentance and faith so that as he's the Alpha and Omega and I will stand before him one day that I'm ready to meet him. If that's you, would you pray this prayer with me? Almighty God, I admit to you today that I've lived not in the fear of you, not in the honor of you, 
but in my own ways and rebellion and sin. And I know that because of my rebellion and sin that I deserve death and hell. And that if you were even to come today on the clouds, I would be one of those who weep and wail because I know that as you come, I'd be, you'd be coming with judgment towards me. But God, I'm sorry for my sin today. And I say, I don't want death and hell, but instead I wanna receive what you, Jesus, did for me on the cross. I acknowledge today that you took my punishment, my sin and my shame there. And I'm asking you to forgive me my sin. I turn away from all of the wickedness, the sexual morality, the cowardice, the lying, the deceit that's kept me separated from you. And I'm asking you to make me a new creation today. I know that you were raised from the dead three days after the cross because you were sinless. And I say that today I make you my Lord. Help me to love you and follow you the rest of my days as I wait for your return. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the good news is, is that if you prayed that prayer, God hears you. The one who's ever present hears you. He knows the sincerity of your heart and he says he's made you a new creation. Now, if you've done that, would you join me at secondcitychurch.com slash new life? There we want to point you to some resources and next steps about how you can walk this life out of new life and preparation for the Lord's return. And as you do that, we encourage you to get involved in our community groups throughout the week where you can do that with other believers. If you didn't pray that today, but you say, God, I've been walking with you, but just want to honor you for all that you are. Let's go back into worship now and glorify the one who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that in the midst of our changing times remains steady, remains true, remains sovereign in it all, through it all in Jesus name. You have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out in prayer or reach out in um, calling us and asking about some of the things that we talked about today. God loves you. He's got great plans and purposes for your life as you follow Jesus Christ. So let's honor him and glorify him for the God who he is, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end of all of our lives. And let's give him the worship that he's due with our lives in Jesus' name. We'll see you this week during community groups. Please do bring a friend next week. We love you and we'll see you soon. God bless you.